Today's daf is Lamed Vav, 36. We start at the very bottom of Lamed Hamed Seth, and we are looking at the, uh, continuing the analysis of the Mishnah, moving on from some of very special aspects of that sort, like if the, like effective the fruit and, uh, it needs to be able to have the possibility of eating it, um, to, uh, the aesthetic aspects. We discussed yesterday the issue about the sort of protrusions or the warts um, and with a particular focus on the slanting part where there even a one or two is a, you know, even a small number, is a pro- even one is a problem the chotamo, literally the nose and also the issue about the pitham where, as I mentioned, there's a whole debate in that we show him exactly what the pitham is, but we sort of know what we assume it to be, of course, the sort of like almost like the mushroom cloud look, the you know the peg and the the uh, the the, the uh, canopy that comes out of that comes out of the top. Now the Gemara starts continues three lines from the bottom. Nikluf if it's peeled. So Amarava high esrog the iglid keahina sumka kshera an esrog that is as peeled like a red date is kosher. I Meaning presumably it's like uh, totally peeled. So v'anant na nikluf pasul. What do you mean? Our Mishnah says if it's peeled, it's pasul. Lokaj, it's not difficult. Habakula, habamiktsasa. It's the difference between all of it or part of it. So the, obviously the question is, which is which? So Rashi says, maybe somewhat ironically, that if it's all peeled, it's kosher. Um, that's maybe the analogy to the uh, peeled date or the red date. If it's partly peeled and partly unpeeled, then it looks very spotty, manumer, like the Gemara said before, and that's a bigger problem. Tosfa says no, because in a minute we're about to see a comparison between some of these sulim of the esrog and uh, trefot, simane trefot, part aspects of an animal that make it a trefa. And there, you, the, the Gemara discusses that if an animal has its uh, skin peeled off, I mean, I've, how exactly that happened, I know Rashi says maybe due to a disease or something, if all of the skin is off, then it's a trefa. If most of the skin is off but some still remains, then it's not a trefa because then it can basically regenerate and heal. So Tosos argues that based on the comparison we're about to make between some of these invalidities and a trefa, actually, if some of the skin is still around, it would be kosher. If all of the skin is off, if it's peeled, it would be pasul. Now, of course, thank you, the question of exactly what peeled means, does it mean that the rind isn't there? That's like you missing a lot, and we're about to see a whole issue about chaser, about things that are missing, you know, parts of the actual, of the actual esrog itself. It couldn't mean not that the whole rind is peeled off, it could mean like an outer thin layer of the rind, but exactly what constitutes niklaf, you know, how much are we talking about being peeled and it could still be kosher, is, you know, how thick, as it were, of the outer rind is not clear. And one of the things we are going to have to look at is this issue about chaser, because chaser seems to be a clear invalidity, um, and if that's true, you know, you wonder how any part peeled could be okay. So maybe, again, it's a very thin part of the outer rind is maybe being treated uh, differently. So that's the issue of peel, yes. Did you, I'm trying to go back, did you say at the end of yesterday, maybe I missed it, anything about the last Rashi at the bottom of the previous Amud, about, you got the teacher of it, is that, is that Rabbi Yaakov, Zikna Rabbi Yaakov, is that his grandfather? Rashi no, it's not his grandfather, it's his teachers. Um, yeah. Do you have anything to say about it? It's like mm. so interesting. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I, I can't, I can't, uh, talk, uh, okay. off the top of my head about Rashi's Rebbeim. Okay, so Nistak Nikav, now we go from peeled to cracked or with a hole in it. Um, so if it has a hole and is missing something, it's a problem. A hole without being chaser or anything is not a problem. And cracked is a problem. How far cracked is also not clear. I'll get back to that in a minute, but the Gemara is going to talk to the issue of the hole. Tani Ulubar Chanina, Nikav Nekev Mifolash B'mashahu. B'she'ena Mifolash B'ki'isar. If there's a hole that goes through and through, like uh, take a pin and you go all the way through one, you know, one side of the esrog to the next, even if it's a tiny hole. If it is not mifolash, then it has to be the size of an isar, which is a pretty big coin. I, I mean, not big, but it's not tiny. It's whatever. Who knows? It's yeah. a penny, let's say. Now, the question is, this is, the way Rashi and Tosos are supposed to understand this, this is if it is not chaser mashu, meaning if it is chaser mashu, they both understand that even if it's a tiny hole, if a little actually is chaser, it's invalid. He, they understand that this is qualifying the statement in the Mishnah that a hole without anything lacking is valid. And they say not all holes. If the hole is significant enough, it goes from end to end, even if it didn't, even if no part of the esrog you know fell away as a result, put a pin through it. 
I mean, obviously, by the way, you imagine that some juices come out of an asteroid, right? Thank no. you. Right, when some juices come out, but whatever, no real, you know, no physical, you know, whatever, like piece falls off if you put a hole through it, then even though it's not chaseh masha, although the mission said a hole without missing anything is kosher, he's limiting it. And if it goes all the way through, or if the hole is as big as a isar, like again, imagine you took, I don't know, like a thick peg and you banged it in, okay, but it didn't actually, a piece didn't fall off, it just made a, a big hole in it, then if it's that big size, even without going through and through, if it goes through and through, even if it's tiny, even if nothing fell off, it is still pasul. That is the way they're reading this, okay? So, um, that big of a hole, or that uh, thorough of a hole, you know, ex- uh, extensive of a hole is pasul, even without anything lacking. Now, by Rava, Rava asked, no do the esrog simane trefa mahu. Let's say the esrog has signs that would make an animal a trefa. What, what would be the halacha? So the Mark says, my kami bayale, what are you asking? Enikloth, if the bomb of peeled, which we know that an animal is called in Hilchos trefa gluda, an animal with its skin peeled off. So, tanina, that's in the Mishnah, that nikloth is pasul. Enistach, if it's cracked, Tanina, we taught. Now, what's a cracked uh, comparison to? Like the cracked, cracked um, uh, trachea. Um, so if the, um, you know, it's cracked some from, from, from like the top. These are the, 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 these things here are like, are, are, are around the top of your, this is your voice box on the top of your trachea, right? So if like from the top sort of cartilage to the bottom, it's cracked all the way through, right, in your, in a tra- animal's trachea, that would be an invalidity. That would be pasul. Now, the, based on this, by the way, I should mention, again, Tosos takes the comparisons to trefa very seriously. So the same way by the issue of peeled, he says it would have to all be peeled like a trefa. By the issue of cracked, he said it would have to be cracked all the length of the estrog. The same way when we speak about like a cracked trachea in Hilchos, you know, in Hilchos Trefos, we talk about not a little crack, but a crack that goes the entire length from the bottom to the top cartilage. So Tosos, again, understands these comparisons quite literally, um, not just like, oh, isn't that interesting, you know? This idea, you know, it's a similar type of a thing, a similar label. He understands that even exactly the parameters are the same as they are by Trefa. So that's Nistak. Inikov, if it's about a hole, most of Trefot are like holes, a hole in the lung, a hole in the heart, a hole in an intestine. So, Tanina, that's also the Namishnah, a hole that something is lacking from, it's a trefa. Now, by the way, um, in, tre- in, in Hilchot, I mean, that's Pasul, in Hilchot's trefos, it doesn't matter if a piece of the lung came out as a result of the hole or not, because the hole itself is the problem, so it's not exactly the same, although Tosos tries as much as possible to e- make them equal, but the point is, all of these three things in our Mishnah are types of trefos. So, what do you mean you have a question about Trefa? That's exactly the Mishnah. It has those things that are Trefot in the Mishnah. Now, before we see what Rava's question is, obviously, it should strike us as quite strange yes. that they're, we're trying to, you know, sort of make a list of Sule Esro parallel to an LS of... It could be, be coincidence, but as I said, the Gemara, by saying, what if it has Trefa, see, money doesn't sound like it's coincidence. Tosis' attempt to learn out the parameters from Trefa doesn't sound like it's a coincidence. And again, I want to point out that this once again evokes this idea of korban. So now that's time number three, for those that are keeping score. Number one, we had by the Lulav and Mitzvah Babiyaveir, was all learned from the world of korbanot, the Vetem Gozul, the Tapiseach, and so on. Um, number two is, um, number two was the discussion about the, the Limud from Esrogim was like, just like a, 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 a pen of animals, has Tmimim, Ubalei Mumim, has young sheep and older sheep, etc. And three is this issue now quite explicit of Trefa. Now, Trefa is not just a Corbin problem, it's a Kashra's problem, but it seems to be, it's, you know, it's a classic issue here about aesthetics and so on. It does seem to evoke, once again, the world of Corbin notes. So what is the halacha here? So the Gemara says, what do you mean? It's all in the Mishnah. So the Gemara says, no. Ki kami bayalei ula. The question was like ula. Um, okay, what does that mean? Um, Amr Reb Yochanan. Like the statement of ula in the name of Reb Yochanan. Reyash kikiton. If you have a lung that spills out like a, like a ladle, meaning it's liquefied on the insides, kshira, that's kosher. The Amar Rava, now Rava qualifies that by saying, That's only if the arteries are still around, even though some of the insides have liquefied. So the Gemara says, Fine, but without those, it's going to be a trefa. So that's what we know by a lung. 
Hachamai, what would be the story here? Now, what would be if the inside of the li- of the esrog, like you know, the meat, the juice, had liquefied? So Dilma Hasamhu Delo Shalifa Vira Hadabari. So the question is, now again, it's fascinating the assumption. The assumption is that the insides had completely liquefied, um, then it would be um, it would be also it would be pasul just like a, just like an animal's trefa. But what about this qualification that we added? That if the arteries are round, it's going to remain kosher even if the rest has liquefied. So let's say the parallel would be by the esrog. You know, like the sort of the meat of the esrog sort of exists in these like chambers, right? I mean, did anybody sort of you know you know what I mean? It's sort of like you know it's like a citrus food, right? So so let's say. The the meat has liquefied, but the sort of the, the, the wall structures, the chambers are still there. So the same way by a trefer, when some of the inner structure remains, even if it's liquefied by a lung, it'll be kosher. Will this also still remain kosher? Again, notice the assumption. If it's totally liquefied, of course it's possible. How do we know? Because that's an animal's trefer. But how about this technical point that if the stru- inner sort of structure is there, will that allow it to remain kosher? Will it be like a lung or not? By the lung, that there is air doesn't uh, sort of uh, have access to it, which is again quite fascinating. It's what do you so mean? Ironic, the lung exactly, the lung brings air in and out. I really don't understand that. So in that case, Hadar um, Bari. So maybe as long as some of the inner structure is still there, it can get it can heal. But here, the Shalipavira, it's exposed to the air. It must mean the whole esrog is exposed to air, you know, as opposed to there, the lung, the air goes in, but the whole lung isn't exposed. It's quite fascinating difference. The insides there are more exposed to air than here. But anyway, here that's exposed to air, it'll spoil and it'll only get worse. Maybe it doesn't matter. And the same way there, if the inner structure is okay, it's okay. It, it remains good here too. Tashma coming here. tapuach saruach. If you have an esrog that is sort of a bloated, um, or um, you know, due to some obviously you know thing going on there, not just naturally big, but like swelled, or it's uh, spoiled, um, rotting, let's say, kavush shaluk, or it's pickled, or it's boiled. Kushi, if it's an Ethiopian esrog, or might just mean if it's, if it's black, we'll, well, well, yeah. we'll see. I'm saying that because of what the Gemara is going to say about the word in a minute. Lavan, or if it's white, umenumar, or spotted, pastor, it's invalid. Esrog kador, if it's totally, if it's totally spherical, like a ball, pasul, it's invalid. Um, afatiom, and some even say even a twin, like two esrogim that grew sort of twinned together, joined, co-joined. Esrog aboser, if it is an unripe esrog, where the Yekiva posel v'chachamim machshirim. If you give it invalid, the chachamim say it's valid. Gidlobed fus, if you, if you grew the esrog in a, in a, um, uh, a, uh, a mold you put a mold over a very small esrog so as it continued to grow it grew, grew by the, according to the shape of the mold so if the mold made it look like a completely different type of a fruit would did not have a, a, a normal esrog shape afterwards pasul it's invalid which means if you have a mold that keeps it within the esrog shape um, it could be kosher so you know people that have these like perfectly I, I don't know what they do you know, the, you know the, some types of esrogim they have like they grow like very the shapes that are exactly the shapes that people want is it that they've basically selected out from thousands of esrogim is it that they've actually um, gr- uh, grafted esrogim and you know you know created certain type of an esrog strand uh, strain that grows particular shapes um, or you know I do I understand that some of them what they do like some people like like the Gartel esrog you know the ones that sort of like are like more like hourglass shape so what they do is they go out when the esrog is growing and it's still young and they basically put like a string around the middle you know a tight string and that actually makes it grow you know into that more Gartel shape so as long as it stays within the the frame the uh, excuse me you know the uh, within the range of esrog looking shapes it's okay so those are the whole list but let's get to our point so the Gemara says Ketani um, Miha so that was a very nice long list but one of the things we taught nevertheless is Tapuach Saruach is a bloated and spoiled my left Tapuach Mibachot doesn't this describe two different scenarios one is 
some external type of a thing. It's bloated on the outside. Then, meaning, or, saruach mivishnim, some type of a spoiling on the inside, meaning some type of a liquefaction in the inside, and you see it's pasul. Now again, how we know that means with the inner chamber still present, without the inner chamber still present, that somehow seems to get bracketed. But look, you see if the insides are liquefied, it's invalid. That was your question. Mar says, no, not necessarily. I divided me bachutz. You could be talking about two types of external problems. The low kasha, it's not difficult. Hadatapach, afagav de losarach. One could be that it's bloated, even though it's not rotting. Hadasarach, afagav de losarach. Or it could be rotting without being bloated, but it's a rotting on the outside, not on the inside. Now again, it's quite fascinating because talking about the question of how serious is the comparison to Trefa, all the other things were externally visible. And therefore, you could say, okay, that's the definition of Hadar. It's not really a problem of a Trefa problem. But this issue, right, although the way the Gemara frames the issue is the Gemara takes it for granted that if the insides were totally liquefied, it's a problem, and only wants to know, is it okay if you have the inner chamber still there? But, you know, here the proof was not to discuss the inner chambers. It seemed to be the basic issue of whether the liquefied insides are a problem or not. And that's hard to understand why that's an issue for Esro, right? Because it doesn't, uh, you know, if there's no other issue, at least there's nothing externally obvious, as the Gemara says. It's the question, is it outside or even inside? You know, does it stop being a fruit? Is it the definition of pre? Again, it sounds like the real problem is because it's a problem by Trefa. That should make it a problem by Esro, even though there's no necessarily intrinsic or natural reason why that should be an S-rogue issue. So it seems that it's more than just a comparison. There really is some sense we should borrow psulim by trefa and apply them to S-rogue and again suggesting, I would say, this korban comparison. I will say one other thing about this because of the issue of trefa. So it says, well, we know by trefa that if there's a hole, right, in, in the lung, for example, it doesn't have to go through the whole lung from one end of the lung to the next. It just has to get, you know, into the into the hollow of the lung, you know, through the wall. It doesn't have to go through and through. So why did the Gemara say before if the hole went through and through? So Tosus makes an interesting point. He says, you know what? Maybe that's right. Maybe if it's actually going opposite the meat of the S-row, once the hole gets through the rind into the meat, that's like a hole that gets through the wall of the lung into the chamber of the lung. When we said it only if it went through and through is the problem is when it's at the top of the S-row and it's not, or the, you know, at the bottom where it's not opposite the meat. There, he said, that's like one single wall. But if you have basically a wall and an inner chamber, which is what you have on the middle part, as soon as it reaches the inner chamber, it'll be a problem, like by a lung, like by a heart. When it, it's the issue of the through and through is only when it's all wall, when it's at the top or the bottom. Again, what's fascinating is, Tosu's continuing to assume it's not just a broad stroke comparison. We're actually going to learn the details of the psulim by the esrog from parallel types of psulim by Trefa. Take this comparison very seriously. Charlie, you've had your hand up for a while. The description they're, they're making here almost seems like they're describing a lemon rather than a citron because a citron or an etrog, an etrog or a citron has, uh, doesn't have much flesh in it. It's mostly right. rind. And a lemon is this rind with the flesh inside, and you would not want to eat it if it had become completely liquefied. And I'm wondering if they made the same kinds of distinctions back then and the that we do today. Well, I don't know. You mean, does I mean, there's a what? Yeah, I'm wondering. They're, descri- they're more describing a lemon. I don't see why you say that. Where do you see them more describing a lemon? What, what, so they're what? talking about the peel. Right. You can't, you don't peel an etrog. It's the, the rind is most of But that's what I said. It's not clear to me that that really means the whole peel is peeled off. It could mean like a thin, a thin layer of the peel. It's, it's like, imagine it saying, it was, imagine saying if it had flaked off. Okay? That's why I don't think, because if it was really the whole peel, then it would be husser. And, you know, you wouldn't have to say, you know, a separate idea of niklaf. It's certainly Rashi that it's until it's niklaf kulo. So I don't think we're talking, that's what I said before, that you actually removed the rind. I think we're talking about some type of flaking of the very outer layer. I don't see any evidence for what you're saying. I'm sorry. Okay, so now the Gemara continues. Um, yeah. I mean, in the trefa, you shut the animal, and then you do a physical examination, you see what you got. How many times do you buy a nice piece of fruit and you take it home and you cut it open and you find it's bruised, it's damaged, right. it's rotten, you don't eat it, the right. orange all dried out. Well, what do we do with this estro? How do we know about all How would we know? Well, that's the point. Part of the Kiddush of this question is it's the only thing that's internal. Mm-hmm. Everything else is external. 
And that's why, you know, you're saying a good point. How would you know? I imagine you would shake it and you could hear, but especially if the Gemara is making a distinction, which is whether the inner chambers are... Well, that, no, the only one that you can't know is this one that is being raised here that's not in the Mishnah, which is the inside liquefied. Everything else is external. Right? Right. Everything else is externally visible. So this is the only one. So that's exact. You make a good test just practically, even if it is puzzle, how would you know? So maybe, well, maybe that, or maybe you could hear it. You know, you shake it, you hear the liquid moving around. But again, that's a good reason to underscore the issue that that's what you finish about that, is that you're saying you wouldn't even know. And I'm saying, and why would it be a problem? It doesn't affect the aesthetics and so on. And that again sort of shows a desire just to draw from this world of trefos. But you're right. There's a practice question of how would you how would you have access to that information okay so now we get we move we move to the areas where more comfortable we're like where you know are more external and also doesn't require knowledge of trace oats. so let's now take a look at the other at the rest of the list so the Gemara says like this um Amar so we said Esro Kushi Pasul if it is black um, but literally Ethiopian it's invalid one minute. We have a bright that says if it's actually from Ethiopia, you know, if, if, then it is kasher. If it is similar to an Ethiopian, if it's black, it's pasul. So the understanding kushi actually means that it grew in Ethiopia. Okay. So how do you deal with that? Then this seems to say that even if it's an Ethiopian Ezra by it, that itself makes it invalid. So Amar Baye Kitnan Nami Mafnisin Domelakushi Tanan. Yes, when our Mishnah or the also the earlier Brighter that said an Ezra Kushi is Pasul, we mean black. We don't mean Ethiopian. Rava Amar Rava says, Lokash, it's not difficult. Halan Halahu. That's for them, this is for us. What does that mean? Yeah, does so that take mean? a look at Rashi. Rashi, halan halahu. La'ola masnisin kushinami pasil. Even an Ethiopian esrog is invalid. The lokash, masnisin is nei eretz Yisrael, shirachoki meretz kush. The mission that says an Ethiopian esrog is invalid is in Israel, where they're distant from Ethiopia. The ainim regiling behem, and they're not uh, used to seeing Ethiopian esrogim. So that's a problem. Um, Brisa, the Brisa that says an Ethiopian esrog is kasher, we've made bother. Shakrovim lakush, they're close to Ethiopia. Regiling behem, and they see esrogim from Ethiopia more regularly, and therefore it is not umikomakom begadokan vidoma lakushi nidmehu pasur. If actually, but everybody would agree that if it grew here and is a black, that's a problem. The question is, if it's genuinely from Ethiopia. So, is that a problem or not? Does it look too strange to not look like an esrog? And according to Rashi, it's, so the question anyway is, I have to tell you, which I sort of have been trying to gloss over, but the, the Gemara is sort of assuming that Ethiopian esrogim grow black. The same way the people in Ethiopia are black. I didn't exactly say, look, the Gemara didn't say it explicitly. Just that Ethiopian esrogim are a problem. But I think what it's sort of suggesting, and Rashi says it explicitly, a previous Rashi, which I'm going to get back to read in a minute, is there seems to be an understanding that if the people in Ethiopia are black, the esrogim are black. So the problem is like this. If you have an esrog that grows here and it's supposed to grow yellow and it grows black, everybody agrees it's pasul. Because that's, you know, not the normal color for, for, for these homegrown esrogim. But let's say you have an esrog that grew black and in its place that was natural. Does that make it invalid or not? Because it's not like it's something it shouldn't be in an objective sense. It's exactly natural for it. And there it goes by a more relative measure if we're used to it and we would see it as strange or we would not see it as strange. You know, this, it goes into these interesting questions about the whole idea of the concept of normal. You know, what's normal? You know, you live in a, uh, in a metropolis, you know, in a city where there's a much more wide a range of people, your sort of your tolerance, hopefully, you know, grows because your understanding of what is normal or the natural diversity, you know, is very different, and you don't see things as objectionable or strange as opposed to if you have a much more limited type of an experience, things that you know are seen as problems and strange and not normal, etc. So that's quite fascinating. What's fascinating also from a halachic standpoint is that the definition of hadar can be subjective, mm-hmm. right? As opposed to just, well, it's, you know, it's, the rabbis had to determine, fine, the rabbis had to determine because aesthetically nice can mean anything, but we figure once they determine, they're determining a universal standard. And here they're actually saying that an element of beauty, right, is 
you know, something that feels like, you know, doesn't feel, I mean, some people can think if it's exotic, it's beautiful, but okay. But, you know, some things that look strange are not beautiful, but that is relative to who you are and, you know, and, and what your, and what your, you know, experience is and what you're used to. So that's quite fascinating that the same estro, you bring it to Babel, it's kosher. You transport it to Eretz Yisrael, it becomes possible. That's one thing. Now, why is, why is uh, the difference about why would everybody agree, even if a black esrogue from Ethiopia is kosher in Bava because we're used to it, why is a normal esrogue that grows here that turns black invalid? So look at the previous Rashi, Domilakushi, like the last narrow line, Shagadal Kanvareu Shachor, it grew here and it became black. So in that case, Everybody would agree it's pasul, or it's pasul even in Babel, even where we're used to Ethiopian esroging, pasul, shenidmehu, because it is, make, it is becoming like something else. Anybody can read that next word? Counterfeit, Counterfeit the laws. So the fact that it's trying to pretend to be something it's not, <laughs> that also, oh, it's a, it's a, it's a home grade, you know, it's a Babylonian esroging that's black, that's unusual. That's wrong. It's like there's a sense of wrongness to it. Whereas if that's the way it should be, okay, then it's just maybe a question of how exposed I am to uh, it. Yes. Rashi is very clear that Kushi, after Kushi means a black esrog. Yeah. But the Gemara doesn't have to be read that way. It, would be, it, it, it looks yeah. different somehow. I know. Domo, that actually makes more sense. Domo with Kushi means it's black. Right. right, as opposed to Kushi, just means it's from Ethiopia, and those that's rogim are different. I, that's why I said, I said, in the Gemara, you could get away with saying that Kushi does not mean an assumption that Ethiopian esrogim are black. It just could be that Ethiopian esrogim are different in some way. Yes. Either my geography or Russia's geography is wrong. Because Ethiopia is actually close to Israel. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah. I was trying to figure out, but it's true. Even the most. Yeah, does he say anything interesting there in the footnotes? Yeah, the uh, Rashash wonders about this explanation, pointing out that Ethiopia is closer to Israel than to Babylonia, which was in the area that is today southern Iraq. However, this is true only if one travels by land. If one leaves yeah, Ethiopia right. by sea and crosses the Bab al-Mandab, the 20-mile-wide strait at the foot of the Red Sea to Arabia, this is Babylonia's short and distance there. Just <laughs> Furthermore, the land route from Ethiopia to crosses the Sahara Desert and thus exceedingly treacherous. Accordingly, Rashi would seem to imply that travel between Ethiopia and Babylonia is more common than travel between Ethiopia and Israel. Interesting. Do they say anything about whether the whether Kushi means is that the assumption that Ethiopian Israelim are black, or do yeah, they try? They say it's black. Does Shinezot say anything there, Charlie? Or nothing? Because relevant. it is possible to read the Gemara, like as Joe said, you know, and as I indicated, that Ethiopia. It's just assuming Ethiopian Israelim are different. Not necessarily black, but Rashi seems to indicate that the assumption that if it's from Ethiopia, it's black. The yeah. only the other place that I know of where a culturally determined subjective criterion applies to halachic implications it's interesting you know another, well but another thing I would also say which gets us closer to this world of Mumim and Korbanot is the case by a Kohen who is um, uh, like who has certain issues in terms of dress and appearance and so on should not be Ogledukhan because he'll distract people but it says the Dash Biro if he's like you know if he's somebody that's been that's that's part that like people are familiar with in that neighborhood in that city then he can go up to the you know, so that's actually similar because it has to do with appearance and the appearance looking at strange and distracting and so on. So that's actually more of an analogy that I would make, and that also bases on like whether it's seen as familiar or not. Okay, so. Yes. I mean, it may be as a crow flies, but it's not so easy to get to, to like, you know, the, the Galil, let's say, because you can go up the Gulf of Bay but then what do you think? You have to go over land. Right. First to go to Iraq, you can, I suppose, go up the Tigris or the River uh-huh. through the Gulf of Persia. All right, there you go. All right, Tznan, we taught in the Mishnah. I'm sorry, I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Esrog Boser, a unripe Esrog, where Yetiva Posel Vachami Machshirim. So when you give invalidates, the Chamin say it's valid. Now, we also have discussed before the size of an Esrog, and maybe is that related or not. The Gemara before, you might remember, talks about Boser being an issue about whether it's Gemara Peri, whether it's ripe or not, and it doesn't have the, can it be labeled a fruit. So let's take a look. 
Amar Rabbah, Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Shimon, Amar Dever Echad. Rabbi Akiva and Rabbi Shimon say the same thing, meaning they're following the, they, they have the same uh, halachic position. Rabbi Akiva had the Amar, and Rabbi Akiva, what we said about invalidating an unripe estrog. Rabbi Shimon, Mahi, what's Rabbi Shimon? Nah, I'm talking about the mission having nothing to do with Lulav. Rabbi Shimon posheres esrogim bikotnan. Rabbi Shimon says you don't have to take meiser from esrogim when they're still small. So presumably when they're small and unripe, they're not yet considered to be a fruit. <coughs> so the same way Rabbi Akiva would say it's not a fruit for lulav, so Rabbi Shimon says it's not a fruit for the obligation of trumas and meiseres. So Amalei Abaye, so Abaye responded, Diamalohi, maybe those are unrelated positions. Um, until this point Rabbi Kiva only said his position by rule of an Hadar it's not an issue of defining it as a fruit it's a question of what's considered beautiful it's an aesthetic issue um, maybe he holds like the rabbis it's chayiv and meiser even though it's unripe it's just a Hadar issue it's not an issue of defining it as a fruit it's chayiv and meiser um, inami, or so that's how Rabbi Akiva might actually be willing to call it a fruit, and it's just a technical problem by Lubav. Or you could go the other way. Adkan lo kamer Rabbi Shimon hasam. Rabbi Shimon there, who says it's invalid, or not invalid, not obligated, is not because it's not defined as a fruit. Ela dechsev, because the verse says, "Aser taser eikos ratzar echa." You shall take my serve all of the two of your seed. So what's the point of the word seed there? Kedera shibni adam motzim lizria. It has to be the fruit or the or the grain has to be at a stage of ripeness that you could actually use it to seed to take like to, to take the grain and plant for more more for you know the, the seeds of the grain to plant for more grain to take the seeds of the fruit and plant more fruit so it's not enough that it be food it has to be mozi lazera able to be planted so that's why sure an unripe esrog is defined as a fruit and it's aesthetic and you can use it for your esrog the only thing is you're not chayven meister because it's, you're not, it's not at the stage where you can plant it here it's all like the rabbi that it's kosher for a lulav so they're totally different concerns and I don't want to hear any more discussion that's like a nice like that's what that's, you know I don't want to say, hypothetically it is the same no it's very clearly our different concerns here an aesthetic concern they're a concern of mozi lazera there's no need to say that they're somehow linked to position okay now we move on to the next one Gidlo B'dfus if you grow it, grew it in a in a, in a mold to the point where it looks like a completely different creature Pasul it's invalid Amar Rava says Rava lo shanu elakimin biryacheres that's only if you really made it looking like some different type of a thing. Avokibriyasa, if it looks like the nor- a normal Ezra would look, kasher, it's obvious. It says, pshita, of course, kibriyacheres, Tanya, that's the brightest thing, when you make it looking like something different. No. What you did is you made it pla- like sort of um, um, uh, uh, plate, uh, what's it, like like a section. Meaning the way Rashi says, does it's like Rashi, it's like a water wheel. Like imagine a water, right? You know, it's got like little protrusions, like overlaying protrusions, like shutters, you know, on top of one another. That even that, the way Rashi reads it, is even that is considered enough kibriyaso. So it's just wild. Rashi says, "Kimin krashim krashim king gagal shel rechaim shemayim v'ravas meaning to hunami briyaso." So basically, Rav's point is it has to really be significantly unusual. Even if you do something like this, make like little, you know, uh, again like little little shingles on it, even that would be close. It would be natural enough to be kosher, which is quite surprising. Okay, that gets as I that said. It's pretty weird and still be kosher. Exactly. Which I know that even. I know. Once it's that, it's already considered not So It is interesting that Rashi reads it Lukula. Correct. Okay, Itmar. Now, this next discussion here is huge in terms of the question that I raised at the beginning of the Masechet, which is, do the invalidities of Esrog apply, or Lulav and Esrog, apply during Cholomoid after the first days? Major debate of Ashkenazim and Svartim. So let's take a look. Itmar, it was said, toss. Um, Esrog shenakvuach barim. An Esrog that the rats had made holes in it. Amar Rav, Rav said they, they chewed a little bit at it. Ein zadar, it's not hadar. Okay, so it's puzzle, clearly. 
Aini, is that really true? We know that Rabbi Hanina would dip his esrog into salt, because they dip, would dip their things into whatever, vinegar, and he'd take a nice bite out of his esrog, and then he'd use it for the mitzvah. <laughs> so, so, first of all, there's a question about, isn't it hooked to the mitzvah? So, you know, you're not allowed to use mitzvah objects for other things. But we're going to ignore that problem for right now. So the Gemara, so, you, so how could Rav say it's a problem if it has bite marks in it? So the Gemara says, Masnisen, but the Mishnah is a problem for Rabbi Hanina, because the Mishnah says that if it has a hole and is missing a little bit, it's possible. So how could he take a bite out of it and eat it? So the Gemara says, no. Rabbi Hanina we could reconcile our Mishnah with Rabbi Hanina. That may be the problem of hole in the Esrog is only a Yant of Rishon problem, not a Yant of Shani problem. Okay, so fine. He did it on Yantav Shani. He did it on Cholamoid. And with Rav Kasha. But according to Rav, it's difficult. Because Rav says, Ein Zahadar. Now, why can't you say that Rav also, his only problem is Yantav Rishon, not Yantav Shani, right? If we said that Rabbi Hanina did it because on the other days, and that's how he works with the mission, when Rav says it is a problem, let Rav be talking about the first day. So the way Rashi reads this Gemara, and most Rishonim have this gear set, there's a question of a gear set, says no. Because the word Rav uses Hadar. And Hadar, beautiful, is a pro- something that you need for all seven days. That's not a first day invalidity. So if Rav said it's not Hadar, that means all seven days. So how, that doesn't fit with Rabbi Hanina. Rabbi Hanina at least did it on Cholamoed. How do you reconcile Rav and Rabbi Hanina? Maybe they're arguing, but if we wanted to reconcile them, how would you reconcile, reconcile them? So he says, Amal Rav, so Rav would say back to you, Shani Achbarim Dimi'isi. No, rats is particularly disgusting. So yes, the other days you can have an esrog you took a bite out of, but you can't have an esrog that the rats took a bite out of. Now, read this way, right, any problem that is a problem of Hadar, because Rav says it's not, you know, it's not aesthetic, is a seven-day problem. Rabbi Hanina, the bite out of the esrog, a hole, which is not a Hadar problem, that's only a day one problem, not the other day not the other days. And that's why Rebbe Hanina did it the other days. So what's the problem? If it's not a Hadar problem, why can't you take it on day one? So Rashi makes up, because it's not in the Gemara, a new problem from Ulkachtem. Remember we said Ulkichat Tama, which means you have to take all of them, take all of them. So Rashi says that same word Tama means that each object has to be whole. So if it is, has a hole in it, without the W, if it's, if it's missing, if it's Chaser, but that's only a problem on day one. Like Ulkachtem Lachem Bayomer shown. So Rashi creates a new problem called not whole, not complete, and it's a day one problem. But anything that's a Hadar problem is a seven-day problem. So when you take a bite out of it, for some reason, it's still considered Hadar. Don't ask me about that. But it's it's not complete. It's not whole. So that's a day one problem. That's the Mishnah. Rabbi Hanina did his thing on Cholomoed. When Rav says it's not Hadar, that's a seven-day problem. That would only be with the rats. That's the way Rashi reads it, which leads to the conclusion that anything that's a Hadar problem is puzzle all seven days. Let's read the end, and then I'll tell you how the others, how, how, how the Chachmei Sfarad read this tomorrow. Ikadami, some say, Amarav Zehadar. Rav actually said, even when the rats took a bite out of it, it still remains Hadar. Rabbi Hanina, same like Rabbi Hanina did. He was Yotze with the Nesra, with a, with a hole in it, with a bite mark. Rabbi Hanina, Kashima, he said, okay, but if they're both saying it's okay, what about the Mishnah that says a hole is no good? No, low Kasha, can't be on the region, can't be on the Shani. That's on Yantav Rishon, and that's like I said, some new problem that it's not whole, but if it's, but, but it still is Hadar, and therefore you can use it at least on Cholomoe. So read this way, if it's a Hadar problem, it's a, it's a problem even on Cholomoe. So the number of Rishonim read this Gemara, and there actually was a different Gears in this Gemara, where the Gemara rejects Rav. Rav says, Ein Zehadar, by the rats, and the Gemara says, Velohi. That's not true. It's not a problem. Because Rabbi Hanina was Yotze on Cholomoed. And the way a number of Rishonim read the Gemara is that the Gemara is actually saying, yes, it's true, it might not be Hadar, but it doesn't matter. You can still use it on Cholomoed. That actually read that the conclusion from Rabbi Hanina, who took a bite and ate it, was not the claim that it still is Hadar, and therefore he was able to use it on Cholomoed. The claim was it doesn't matter if it's Hadar or not Hadar. 
All of the psulim are Yantav Rishon psulim. And Rabbi Hanina used it on Cholomoed, even though it wasn't Hadar. And Rav wanted to create a problem and saying that Hadar had to be for all seven days. It's not true. It was only a one-day problem. It is not a seven-day problem. So a number of Chachmei with a different gears than this Gemara come to the exact opposite conclusion. Not that if it's Hadar, it's seven days. And then we have to distinguish rats isn't Hadar, human bites is Hadar, etc. But regardless of, of, of uh, even if it's not Hadar, like you see from Rabbi Hanina, it's only a problem on the first day, Why not on Why do you Because the implication of our Girsa, I don't want to, if you look at it, the implication of our Girsa is, since Rav said it's not Hadar, that implies all seven days, and therefore we have a problem, and the only way we reconcile it is not by rejecting Rav's principle, but by claiming that uh, there's a difference between rats and human bites. But we still fundamentally, in our gears, agree to the principle that if it's a Hadar issue, it will be a Cholomoy problem. Whereas according to some of the Chachmei Sfarad and the different Girsa, they read no. The conclusion is, we reject Rav, and even if it's a Hadar problem, it's only a day one problem. And this, as I said, is this big debate of whether the Psulim apply on the other days of Yantav or not. It comes all the way down to the Shulchan Aruch and the Ramah. The Shulchan Aruch basically says that the Psulei Esra is pretty much only on the first day. And the Ramah says they're on all, they're, they apply on Cholomot as well. Yes? Is this terminology of Yom Tov Shani, is this common? Yeah, so I mentioned that at the beginning. Yom Tov Shani is here by the Rishonim, understood to mean Cholomot, um, not Yom Tov Shani Shogolios. Why, you know, and because there's a general assumption that Yom Tov Shani Shogolios is the exact same halach of Yom Tov Rishon, although there is some discussion about that. But yes, I don't know I'd have to check to see if elsewhere the Gemara uses Yantar Shani, like outside of this Perek, to refer to Cholomoed. It is a good question. Um, um, there are Mishnayot that say, like, Yom Tov HaRishon Shel Sukkot, da 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 There's actually a very strange Mishnah that says, that says, you know, Yom Tov HaRishon Shel Rosh Hashanah, etc. Because, like, you know, there's no Cholomoed that's contrasting it to. Yom Tov HaRishon is just a Yom Tov. Mm-hmm. And it's not contrasting it to the second day Yom Tov either. So anyway, but yes, the common phrase in a Mishnah is Yom Tov HaRishon, which seems to be pointing out not because it's the Mishnah it's not in, it's not you know it's not Chutzlaret seems to be using that phrase meaning Yom Tov i.e. Yom Rishon you know not the first Yom Tov but yes it, it, so there does seem to be that understanding that Yom Tov Shani means the second day of the Chag not the second day of Yom Tov yes you're telling me in the middle of Cholomoe they just finished Halel he takes a bite out alright yeah well as long as it's still Hadar he was hungry I don't know what to say I don't know what to say moving on Esro Katan, if it is a small etrog, going back to our Mishnah, our Mishnah says, shh, if it's uh, small, is it the size of, an, of, of, an, of a nut or the size of, a, uh, of an egg? How, what's the minimum size? So, Abba Rafa Bar Papa, um, um, So, the same debate here is the same of these stones that are used for wiping yourself. Okay, these uh, toilet paper stones. What exactly the word makorzalot means? Rashi says it means that they're somewhat pointed so that they're, uh, they, they, they can do the job. It says, uh, no, actually, it's not what it means. And also, who really wants pointed stones to wipe yourself? It says it means they're smooth stones. Okay, anyway, so using these stones that, you, that was used for, for, for wiping themselves after going to the bathroom. The Tanya, but Shabbat, on Shabbat, Gimel Avanimu Korzalot, Mutar Lachnis Vadei So they allowed you, this is one of the classic applications about Kavod HaBriyot, that they waived rabbinic restrictions. They allowed you to carry stones which are Muktzah on Shabbat um, in order to take them into the bathroom. You know, they had bathrooms out in the field, like outhouses, to wipe yourself. And how much did they allow you? Three stones. The Kamash Yuran, how big were they? Uh, Rabbi Meir Omer Egoz, Rabbi Yudomer Kibetza. So it's the same debate of an Egoz and a Betza. So again, wh- you know, here the point is, as opposed to our mission where it was a minimum size, here it's like a maximum size. You know, bigger than that is not useful for, for bathroom purposes. So it's not exactly the same debate, and there's no reason claiming there's any logical link to the debate, but it is interesting that the same Rebbe Mayer that says an Egos is the minimum size of an Esrog says it's the maximum size of this wiping stone, and Rebbe Yehuda that says it's the minimum, a Bates is the minimum size of an Esrog says it's, that's the maximum size of this wiping stone. So there's an interesting compa- parallel, but nobody is suggesting any logical link, and again, it's a difference between a minimum and a maximum. You think you saw once we left Brachos, we were out of bathroom and wiping and so on. <laughs> now, by the way, um, Tosos makes an interesting point, because Rashi says 
says Chiddush is you're allowed to move Muktzah. Tosa says, Barashi says, you're only moving it in a Carmelis. That actually, you're not moving it from a Carmelis to Rishos HaYachid. So it says, what do you mean? First of all, the word Beit HaKisei sounds like it's surrounded by walls. And you're moving it into it, meaning from the yard. So you're moving it from a Carmelis into a Rishos HaYachid. And the phrase of Lahachnis sounds that way. So Tosa says, they not only allowed Muktzah, they even allowed you, again, rabbinically, it's a rabbinic problem, to move it from a Carmelis to a Rishos HaYachid. Okay, they even allowed you to do that. And Tosa even says, that might even be easier to allow than Muktzah. Muktzah is very chamor. Now, what about, Tosa then gets to the point, what about nowadays? Can we apply the same principle nowadays? Can we put stones, move stones into our outhouses nowadays? So Tosa says, well, no, because no, there, they had like temporary outhouses out in the field where now, you know, we have very like, you know, we, we have bathrooms we know we're going to use, we know where they are, they're the ones we use regularly, so we should prepare the toilet paper or the stones or whatever before Shabbos. So if you forgot to prepare, that was sort of your fault, we won't be lenient. But then he's not so sure. And if you look at the end of Tosos Peshabbat, Tosos says like this. He says like this. He says, um, like three, li- four lines, uh, three lines above the word desiv, the, the next Tosos, he says like this. Hasam besadot airi, the mokam rachoku, v'torech lahazmi mer Shabbat. There was out in the field, it was far away from the house. So we don't say you have to go Erev Shabbat and put stones in the outhouse, uh, toilet paper in the outhouse. Of a Lizidan, for us, the Eshanu Mokam Kavua Bibayit, we have actually a bathroom in the house. Usser, Ellington, he's mean, it's easy, prepare the stuff from before Shabbat, and if you forgot to, then you can't, we're not, we're not going to allow it, you know, it's your own responsibility, it's so easy to do. The Shema, but maybe you could say, Kivan Dinafishi, Bineabayis, Dabishakli Lahu, since you've got a lot of people in the house, so you know, they'll use up the toilet paper that you cut before Shabbat. So, Loashar Vashari, maybe we can even do it even as necessary. And this actually becomes questions, you know, people get stuck in the bathroom that then they realize nobody has tissues or pre cut toilet paper, what do you do? So I'm not going to get into all the discussion, but let's assume that for most part, whatever problem there is with cutting toilet paper, it's probably only Durabanan, because it's not a real clea, it's made for disposable and so on. So the Kavad Abrias issue certainly takes over. I try to be a little bit from, so what I do is I like... Uh, tear it with a shinoi. Sometimes I like hold on with a cheese. I go like that <laughs> to tear it. But we do have allowances for covered up rios, particularly in bathroom contacts. Um, and Tosos has an interesting question. It, it translates to nowadays. But you could have prepared it before Shabbos. Okay, but sometimes you're stuck and there's still a covered up rios reality. I, I remember somebody told me that he was once stuck on a, he was on a boat and he went into a, uh, the uh, bathroom in the boat and as he closed the door, the light went on. Right? So, he says, what do I do now? They spend the whole Shabbos in the bathroom? Because right. as soon as I open the door, the light's going to go out. So, he says, oh, open it with Hashim or whatever. He said, you had to be on the boat to figure out the answer. He said, because you're there with the rocking of the boat. He said, I just unlatched it and I let the boat, and I let it open by itself. <laughs> so, it's a good question. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Dodge is pretty weak, right? Because you have a lot of people that have a long stone. Yeah, but yeah, it's, I understand. Does anybody like what? Okay. What was the what was the actual design of the bathroom in Midland? Uh, I don't know. I'm sure we can find out. Ask Ein Solovich. I don't know. Kadei, he just came out with his new collected essays. Maybe as one essay. Okay. Ubegadu Kadei So a big one. You, you have to be able to hold two in one hand. Or the next position is even Reb Yekiva says like even one in was it Reb Yekiva who was it it was uh, Reb Yossi says even if it's so big that you need two hands to hold one as opposed to the first position which was two esrogim in one hand <coughs> Tanya I'm Reb Yossi so Reb Yossi to prove his idea that it could be a huge esrog said Maisab Reb Yekiva there's a story with Reb Yekiva Shabbala Beis HaKneset the esrogok sefo he came to the show and had such a huge esrog he was carrying it on his shoulder so Amala Reb Yudas Reb Yudas says it has to be smaller said to Mish- Sham Raya? You want to bring a proof from there? Afim Amalo, Ain't Zahadar. They said to him, hey buddy, bigger isn't always better. That's not beautiful, okay? So therefore, that is not, that is, so you see, it's not good. Now, Rashi points out that um, it sounds like the issue is Hadar. The Gemara before said the issue was um, according is that you have to be small enough so that if you're, you know, holding the lula of an esrog in one hand, it won't fall out. So Rashi claims that we're not backing down from that. Reb Yehuda's concern is a practical one that it'll fall out. But he'll say, even if that's not your concern, you should at least concede to me that beyond a certain size, it's not going to be Hadar. 
Okay. Now let's look at the next mission. You can only bind the lulav with the, uh, something from the arba minim. That's what Rabbi Yehuda says. You can't do something else. Use like a string or a cane or whatever. Rabbi Meir Omer Afachut b'mishicha. Um, even with like a string or with a, a band. I'm a Rabbi Meir, said Rabbi Meir, um, there's a story with the people of Yerushalayim that they would bind their lulav with like golden chains. So you see, you don't need to use one of the Arba Minim. So Amrulah, they said back, which is interesting, they, because until now it's only been Rabbi Yehuda saying it, no, at the bottom it was bound together with some, let's say, you know, part like a, a lulav leaf, and the, the chain was something nice they added, but the basic egged was with a lulaf leaf. So Amar Rava, let's see the Gemara. Rava says, Afilu b'siva, afilu When you use one of the Arba Minim for Reb Yehuda, it doesn't have to be beautiful. Even if you use some type of a of a vine, not a deadly vine, whatever, some type of a, of, of a strip of leaf that grows around a palm tree, or even like even the trunk, you make a strip of, out of, uh, 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 from the trunk that you're able to use as a string. It doesn't have to be beautiful because it's not about beauty. My time is Rebuta. Why does Rebuta demand that you use one of the Arba Minim? It's not about Hadar. Kasavar, no, it's a technical point. Lulav Tzarech Eged, Lulav needs to be bound. We had that discussion before. If you don't bind it, you're not Yotze according to Rebuta. And therefore, if you bring something that's not from the Arba Minim, or the three Minim, I should say, something that's not from the, those things that make up the Lulav, it would bring an external thing into the very mitzvah object. For Rabbi Yehuda, since it needs to be bound, anything that is part of the binding within the, within the, within the sort of, uh, you know, strap, and the strap itself, that makes up the mitzvah object. So you would be making the mitzvah object with something external to the mitzvah. It's interesting. So even if it's not a halachic lulav or halachic hadas, but it's from the right tree, that's not considered to be something external. But if it was something external, that would invalidate it. The Amar Rava, and Rava says, Where do I know this from? Meaning not the reason of Rabbi Yudah. That is just Misvara, that it's connected to his position that Lulav needs an Eged. But how do I know this is, that these things are considered to be part of the Lulav tree itself? The Tanya, we turn it You should dwell in Sukkot. Sukkot shall call Dover. Remeir says you could make your Sukkot out of everything, anything. Rabbi Yudah, that's fascinating, right? We've learned all of the Masechah. We don't remember exactly hearing that. He says, you can only make the schach, presumably not the walls. We'll see in the mid tomorrow, not the walls. But you can only make the schach out of the Arba Minim. Okay. And that's logical. Here's the Kavach Omer. Lula, which is only a day mitzvah, has to be done with the Arba Minim. Sukkah, which is a day and a night mitzvah. Obviously, it would have to be with the Arba Minim, which is what a wild kavachoda. Why don't we say shofar is only a day mitzvah? You have to use a shofar. So, therefore, a lusukkah, which is a night and a day mitzvah, you have to use a shofar. Anyway, Amrulo, let's see what they said back to any kavachomer you make that's not really saying oh yeah it has to be more strict and demand the arba minim if it's going to lean, turn into a leniency is not a kavachomer what's the leniency? lo matzah arba minim according to you if you can't find arba minim to make your sukkah he's will say oh I'm not going to sit in his sukkah so by creating extra demands you think you're being machmir you're actually being makil because you're basically making it impossible for some people to do the mitzvah now that's a really important principle, right? And you're like, oh, let's be machmir, make more demands. How many people are you excluding by your chumras? How much more difficult are you making it for people to be mekayan? That's not always a chumra. That could be defined as a kula. You can't make a kapa I know. It's true. But here, uh, yeah. So anyway, the Torah wants you to dwell in Sukkah. So we'll pick up with this tomorrow, but we're going to see how this fascinating discussion about Sukkah, which we went through the whole first two Prakim without talking about, is going to lead to a discussion about what constitutes the Arba Minim that you can use for making your, 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 no, your not in your Lulav according to Reb Yudah. He demands Arba Minim, but the, according to Rava, but the definition, but the, I'm sorry, not according to the mission he demands Arba Minim, but according to Rava, it's a broad definition of Arba Minim, and we'll see more about that tomorrow. Okay. So, in the middle,